Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. I recently heard about a technique that African hunters would use to capture a monkey. You think about trying to capture a monkey, they're fast, they're often vicious, they're super agile, they jump from tree to tree, they swing. But actually it's a lot simpler than you might imagine to try and capture a monkey. These hunters, what they would do is they would find a jar where the opening of the jar was just big enough for a monkey to get his hand in. And they would fill the jar with fruit and nuts and other things that a monkey would want to eat. And they attached the jar to a tree or, or to something and they would wait for the monkey to see the jar. A monkey would come along and it would see this jar full of all this stuff that they would want. The monkey would run over and plunge its hand into the jar and take a giant handful of the fruit and the nuts and would begin to try and pull its hand out of the jar. But when its hand was full of all this stuff, its hand was stuck in the jar. And it would just pull and it would pull and it would just get stuck and it wouldn't be able to move. And it's funny because in this moment, the monkey has everything it needs to, to get out of that situation. It's still fast, it's still strong, it's still vicious, it's still agile. All it needs to do is let go. But the crazy thing is the monkeys never do. They just constantly hold on to the fruit and the nuts, still trying to pull their hand, desperately trying to get free with all that's in their hand. And the, the hunters will come and they will have a net and they will throw the net over the monkey and the monkey will be captured. As sometimes I wonder, can we see ourselves in that tragic image? Can we see ourselves with our hands stuck in the jar? Because we live in a society, we live in a culture where sort of selfish ambition or self-centeredness is so normal. Everyone is looking out for themselves, clambering over one another to try and get stuff of value, to be someone of value. It's kind of like freedom is held captive to our greed. And the funny thing about greed, greed is one of those sort of poisons of the human condition. If you cast your mind back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, where we see the, the birth of humanity, humanity live in perfect relationship with God. Adam and Eve, the first humans, have everything they need in the Garden of Eden. They have peace between humanity and God. They have all this stuff that God provided for them to eat. Uh, they had pleasure. They had each other. They had everything they would need. But there was one thing that they did not have. And they gave up everything for the desire for more. We've been walking through the book of Nehemiah over the past couple of weeks. And it's been incredible to see what has come out of this incredible book. And we, we've been journeying through the, these different passages and we've seen the story unfold of Nehemiah, the exile from Jerusalem, leading this rabble of people, this crowd of people to do something extraordinary. So we see in Nehemiah chapter 2, he journeys to Jerusalem, he sees what needs to happen, he feels called I need to rebuild Jerusalem. God has put this on his life. So he gathers these people. They began to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And then we see that they have these voices of opposition that pop up. 
And we see how Nehemiah and the Jews begin to deal with opposition. And I, I hope today to unpack something that might sober us up a little bit. Something that will maybe cause us to stop and rethink some things in our life. So Nehemiah, they're, they're, they're rebuilding the wall and they endure so many hurdles, so many obstacles. Like think about it, they still rebuilt the wall even though they had no idea what they were doing. They had a lack of know-how, they had a lack of resource, they had a lack of time, they had a lack of skill and expertise, yet still they began to rebuild the wall. And then think about our position when we see in chapter 2 and 3 and chapter 4 that this voice of opposition progresses. They, they endure the questioning from the enemy. You know, are you sure you should be doing this? They, they endure, the, endure the mocking and the ridiculing. And then they endure the plotting and the intimidation. Yet still, they rebuild the wall. Yet we arrive in chapter 5 today and we see that the, the rebuilding of the wall ceased. And it wasn't because of any external opposition. The rebuilding of the wall ceased because of an internal war that was raging. They fell victim to an internal war. Let's look at this. We, we begin to see this moment happening, this moment unfolding in chapter 5, where a load of Jews, it says there was this outcry to Nehemiah. And it was a load of the, the Jews that were poor. And they were saying, Nehemiah, look, we are being exploited here. So let me just paint a little bit of a picture of what's going on. Imagine this, they're, they're rebuilding, they've got all these things against them. They're all together, they're held up in this city. They're beginning to rebuild the gates, rebuild the, the, the walls. Everything is beginning to be restored. They're working together, this amazing team. They're sort of pushing the enemy back because they've got defense. All the workers are, are working with their swords on the hip. They're sleeping in their armor. Everything is ready to defend, yet some of the richer Jews began to exploit the poorer Jews. And the poorer Jews would have been more of like the farmers and uh, the, the manual laborers. And the richer Jews would have been like the nobles. And, and the nobles begin to, to loan the poor people money. And what happens is in order to pay for the loans, uh, the, the, the nobles would actually charge like ridiculous interest on top of these loans. And... The, the poor people wouldn't be able to afford to live. And, and just a little bit of context is there was a famine going on because of the heavy rains that we heard about in Ezra, in the book of Ezra. So it wasn't their fault, but like there was like a shortage of food because they couldn't grow anything. But the poor people, in order to pay back the nobles, they were mortgaging their land. So they were giving parts of their land away. And then it even says that to afford food, they were selling their children to the richer Jews as slaves so that they could eat. Think about this. They're, they're mortgaging their land. They're selling off their children. And they're being charged this ridiculous interest to also pay tax to the king. So you've got these poor Jews in a really tight situation. They've spent loads of time rebuilding the wall, which means less time on you know, their livelihoods. And, and the rich people who are all charging this, they, some of them were they the ones that weren't working that we heard about in, in chapters two and three. We don't know, but what we know is these noble people were charging so much money to the poor people and they couldn't afford to live. It was crushing them. And this chasm between the, the rich and the poor was growing bigger and bigger and wider. 
And Nehemiah hears about this and becomes angry. He becomes angry at what is going on. They fought all this stuff. They've done what no one thought they could do. Yet the, the building of the wall begins to cease because they just cannot get on because the rich were exploiting the poor. There was a problem with greed in the Jewish camp. I want to look at greed. I want to jump into this today just real quick. The thing is about greed, greed is an opportunist. Okay, so greed takes what it sees. It doesn't tend to think big picture. It thinks in the moment. When it sees something, this opportunist side of it begins to just jump in. I want that. The thing is with that, with greed, it takes your eyes off what God is doing and it places it on to what you can do. So God is doing something incredible with the Jews. He's, he's rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. No one thought they'd be able to do it. They weren't skilled. They didn't have what it would, it would take to rebuild. They didn't have the time. Yet it was happening. They were making progress. Yet somewhere along the way, these nobles lost sight of what God was doing. And this opportunistic uh, perspective of greed began to rise up in them and see what they could make for themselves. Greed only sees what is in front of it. See, the thing is about greed, by only seeing what is uh, like short term and around us, is that what God does in our lives, we rarely see in the moment. We tend to be able to see what God does by looking back on our lives. So the problem with greed is it tends to exchange what God is doing big picture for what we can see in the small picture. And so often we can cancel ourselves out of what God wants to do with our lives because we see what we see and we desire it. We want it. Greed is an opportunity. It takes our eyes off what God is doing. But also greed, it kind of sells this lie. It sells this mentality that if I get that, then I will be. It kind of it kind of sells this lie that I need to get that, I need to desire that, and then it will do something to me. But what we don't realize about this is there is a subtle exchange going on in the background of this. There is something that happens in the background of this idea of if I get, then I will be. Matthew 16, 26 says this. It says, these are Jesus' words. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, the thing with desiring stuff, desiring in this idea of greed, is why it does subtly devalues us and values the thing that we desire. Because what it's saying is, is I am not enough until I get that. So it begins to value this other thing other than what God says about us or what God has put inside of us. And Jesus' words, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? He is not saying that if you gain the world, you might lose your soul. Jesus is speaking into an exchange that goes on here. That if you gain the world, you lose your soul. To gain the world, you will lose your soul. That's different. So what greed does is it sells this idea that you will be enough when you acquire that thing that you desire. But actually, you will lose the very part of yourself. You will lose your soul by trying to gain everything for yourself. And Jesus says, what can anyone give in exchange for a soul? In other words, it is too valuable. 
What could anyone give that would match the value of a human soul? Yet day after day, our culture sells itself to acquire more. I wonder maybe do we see ourselves in that a little bit? Maybe you might find yourself in life just looking at things thinking, if only I get that, then I will feel secure. Then I will feel okay. Then I will feel fulfilled. But really what happens is it exchanges our soul and we are left washed up and empty. You not think it's crazy that these Jews, God was doing something incredible in their midst. God was doing something amazing with them. And they sold themselves. They sold what was going on to acquire a little bit more money, to acquire a little bit more land, to get a little bit more notoriety, to impress those around them. And this miracle was just stopped in its tracks. If there's ever a tragedy in this story, it's that what, what these Jews did, they stopped a move of God because they were greedy, because they were selfish. I wonder in our lives, are there things that God wants to do with our lives that he just can't do because we are so caught up in getting things for ourselves, pulling things in, looking after ourselves, trying to acquire more and get more so we'll, we'll feel like enough and we might coat it in things like freedom and we might coat it in things like generosity, like, oh, I want so much so that I can give. And that's not wrong, but so often we chain ourselves to these things and the very things that God wants to do in our life, they just pause, they cease because he's waiting for us to wake up and see what he is doing and, and take our eyes off what we can do. Greed sells this mentality that if I get this, then I will be. But also greed, it kind of feeds this idea that you're looking after yourself, that you're doing the best thing that you can do for you. Think about it, like these, these nobles in the Jewish camp would have been thinking, well, like this, this is the best thing to do. I need to gain more money. I need to kind of climb the ladder. I'm looking after me and my family in the midst of this famine, in the midst of, you know, there's enemies surrounding the, the whole town, the whole city. This is the best thing I can do for my family. I, 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 can, I can provide for them. You know, it sells this idea that it's you're doing what's best for you, but how did that work out for the monkey. When the monkey was looking at this jar full of all this stuff that they would be able to eat and it would be able to enjoy and it plunges its hand in and it gets stuck. It's thinking, I'm only doing what's best for me. I'm just feeding myself. I need to eat to live. But really greed will only hurt us. It sells this idea that we're looking out for ourselves, but it does the very opposite. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 5, these Jews come to Nehemiah and they say, look, we are of one flesh. They say to him, our sons are just like their sons. Our daughters are just like their daughters, yet we are selling our children to them so we can afford to eat. Think about that for a second. Think about the picture. Think about the context of this. These rich Jews thought they were looking out for themselves. As I said, the, the, the poorer people, the poorer Jews were actually farmers. And actually the land that they were mortgaging out to the, to the nobles, to the rich Jews, was actually the land that they would use to provide food for people. 
So the enemy surrounded the city of Jerusalem. No one could get in or out because it was sort of protected. They were like pent up in the city. These rich Jews, by taking the, the land, by mortgaging this land, they were actually shooting themselves in the foot because no one could get food. No one could get the grain. Think about that. They were after this short-term bit of money, but in the big picture, they were actually losing out. Greed sells this idea that you are looking after yourself, but it actually only hurts you. These poor Jews are saying, look, we're all the same. We're all from the same people. We're all one. We're all in this same scenario. And actually, by those rich Jews pulling in this stuff for themselves, thinking, ah, this is what we need to do, they were only hurting themselves. What's the antidote to greed? What is it? How do we get out of this mindset of acquiring more? How do we get out of this idea that more is better? That actually this life will be weighed by how much we have? How do we get out of that idea? It's simple. The only antidote to greed is generosity. Let's look at this real quick. The antidote to greed is generosity because generosity gives. And the thing about greed is greed it values the, the other thing, the, the desired thing over you. Because it says that obviously if I get that, then I will be enough or then I will be successful, then I will be loved or whatever it might be, whatever lie that that thing you desire is sort of speaking to you. Whereas generosity, it says that this thing does not master me. I master this thing, whether that's money, whether that's stuff in our houses, or whether that's our cars, or whether that's reputation, or whether that's just whatever it might be in our life. By being generous, by giving away, it tells ourselves that we are worth more than this thing. That we are to be valued more. Like Jesus says, what can, what can anyone give in exchange for a soul? There's nothing on the same level. It's, it's telling our souls that we are not mastered by these things. We are not owned by these things. By giving, we free ourselves from that bondage. We free ourselves like the monkey with his hand stuck in the jar. It had everything it needed to move on. It just couldn't let go. The antidote to, generos to, to greed is generosity. Why? When the monkey lets go and leaves it and gives it away. It's free to go and live its life. Greed will capture the, the most able, talented, the, the ones with the seeming the brightest futures, the ones seeming like they've got it all together, the ones with the talent, the skills, the abilities, the, the ones with the, the eloquent words, the ones with... Greed will put a stop to all of that. It will hold the greatest of people captive because they just cannot let go. Generosity pushes this stuff. Now, by being generous, I do not mean having stuff is bad. That is, don't hear me wrong. That is not what I'm saying. Greed is an attitude of, I want more. Someone, there was a famous quote that was asked, or, you know, what is it to be greedy? And it was just saying, just wanting more than you have. And I think that's interesting because actually, I don't think it's bad to want more than we have. I don't think that's the bad thing here. I think greed is actually when we desire something so much that we are, we are willing to sell ourselves, to reduce ourselves in order to get it. 
Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Greed was not having stuff because Adam and Eve had stuff. They had everything they would have wanted. That was not greed. Greed was wanting more at the expense of everything else. I maybe want to ask you in your life right now, are there some areas of your life that you are just so caught up, you are just day and night thinking, desiring, I will be enough when I get this. Listen to this in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now that doesn't say you can serve God and you will never have money. That's not what it's saying. It's about serving. Greed is like an allegiance. It is like I will align myself too. Like the monkey with his hand in the jar. This thing I'm desiring is more important than my future and my life. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. I wonder the things in your life that God is desperately wanting to do. He's just waiting for you to follow him, to get your mind off the stuff, of progressing the stuff, acquiring more stuff. Because listen to this, again, Jesus in Luke 12, 15, he says, says, speaking to the people he went on, Jesus says, take care, protect yourselves against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. What he's saying here is, regardless of how much you have, life is not defined by what you have. Like I said, this fleeting existence that we call our lives, this vapor-like, mist-like thing that we are here for such a short time is not weighted. It is not valued by how much stuff we have. What What can a person exchange for their soul? We are far too valuable. Maybe it is time to stop selling ourselves for things and desiring things so much at the expense of what God wants to do with our lives. The antidote to greed is generosity. Generosity sets us free. See, the thing is, every single one of us, just like in that that moment with the Jews, those poor Jews, the ones who had nothing, they were taken advantage of because they could. The nobles could take advantage of them. It made me think that every single one of us says in Ephesians, we are all dead. We are all poor in our sin. We are all spiritually bankrupt. We are poor. There is nothing we have. Yet God didn't come and bully us and exploit us. He didn't say, right now you have nothing. You're going to do everything I say because I have the upper hand. You know, God didn't come in this, with his domineering spirit and kind of force us to be his slaves. That's not what he did. He gave himself to us. And he gave himself for us. He sent Jesus. Jesus was the, the revelation of God who walked on this earth. He lived a human life. He was given to us. In human form, God came to humanity. God gave of himself. He didn't didn't see it as something to be kept uh, for himself and and let us sort of rot in our sin and our spiritual sort of debt. He gave himself to us. And he gave himself for us. And Jesus went to a cross and on that cross he took our sin, 
our shame. He took all of our dirt, all of the things that offend him, our greed, and he hung it on the cross. He sat in a grave for three days and he walked out of there with the victory so that you and me can make it back to God, so that we can be restored back into peace with God. He gave himself to us. He gave himself for us. Uh, maybe you're sat here this morning and you're thinking, I, I really want to want to build that life. I really want to build the life that God has called me to build. I really want to build that, uh, be the person that God has called me to be. I'm tired of, of chasing stuff for my fulfillment and, and chasing stuff for, to make me feel whole again. Maybe you feel like those Jews that were just burdened, that had been exploited. They had nothing going for them. They were at the end of themselves. What can we do? They were selling part of themselves. Maybe you feel like that right now, where you just think, what have I got going for me? What, what, what can I do? How can I build the life that God wants me to build? If you say there's future and hope, how can I do that? All you need to do is give God what you've got. Give him your life. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I accept what you did for me so that I can, be, I can go from this spiritual, poor, bankrupt state and I can be drafted in to the richness of Jesus, the richness of God and his glory and his purpose and his freedom. Maybe this morning you want to pray that simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you all my brokenness, all my stuff. I give it to you. Maybe you're listening this morning and you've been challenged and you just feel like you've been chasing stuff for far too long. Maybe you've got a faith. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you have been chasing stuff for your fulfillment. For You've been chasing stuff. If I get that, then I will be the person I'm supposed to be. Maybe you need to take your eyes off what you can do and put them on what God wants to do in your life. Maybe today is a day that we will not choose greed, but we will choose generosity. We will choose to be those people that let go and pull our hand out the jar and live the life of freedom that God is calling us to live. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you are present. God, I pray for every single person that prayed that prayer for the first time, that they want to give you their brokenness, give you their life, give you all the stuff that they have done in their life, the good and the bad. God, I pray right now that you would reveal yourself to them, that all that sin, all that stuff, all the shame they can let go of and they can move on. God, I thank you that you are the God of second chances, that their life is not too far gone for you to move. And God, I pray for all those other people that maybe responded this morning to say that they are going to let go of this lifestyle of greed and they are going to commit to being generous people. God, it says in your word that we should freely give because you freely gave to us. Our response can be nothing other than to give, to give of our lives for others, to give of our resource, our finance, to give of ourselves. God, right now, I pray that you would just challenge and convict those people right now that really need to make that move from greed to generosity, to let go and to pull the hand out of the jar. God, we thank you that you have called us to future and to hope. 
I pray right now that today can be a defining day where we move on and we do not put a stop to anything you want to do in our lives because we are caught up with what we want to do. God, we just move our agenda out of the way. We say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been an amazing morning. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.